at him just always causes me to worship at the foot of the king. And when you know the story behind it, which I'm not going to recount for you now because you've heard me recount it a hundred times, but I love it that Horatio Spafford, after losing his daughters in a shipwreck, could pen that great song. Even in the midst of trials and tribulation and difficulty and loss, it is well with my soul. Amen. And that passage from Romans just fits it so well. Thank you, Jeff. Take your Bibles and turn with me to Matthew chapter 6. We are continuing our study of the Sermon on the Mount, and we are at the Lord's Prayer. Uh, We could have done the Lord's Prayer in one sermon, but we're going to do it in about seven or eight sermons uh, because there's so much richness there that just needs to be uh, dwelled upon a little bit. Don't need to rush through that. You know, Jesus thought it important to teach his disciples how to pray. They thought it important so much that Luke tells us, we talked about, that they came to him and they said, Master, teach us how to pray. John taught his disciples how to pray. The Pharisees pray, their prayers. All those around us pray, teach us how to pray. And Jesus said, well, when you pray, there's several things you ought to do. You ought not not pray as, as those Pharisees who call attention to themselves. You ought to make your prayers a private matter. You ought to recognize to whom you are praying. You are praying to the Father. You're praying to our Father who art in heaven. So you recognize who you're praying to. You ought not pray with vain repetition. You ought to not just, and that's one reason why we see that Jesus isn't saying here, here's a prayer. You sit down, you say these words every day, and you've done your prayer job. You don't pray with vain repetition, not thinking about what you're saying, not analyzing and, and, and concentrating on the very things that you're saying, Jesus said. You ought to think about it. You ought not learn some little ditty and let that be your prayer. I remember when I was growing up, I guess my mother taught me when I was very young a, a blessing to say. I bet you said one just like it, if not exactly like it. Do you remember? I can't remember all of a sudden. (laughs) Now I do. God is great. God is good. Let us thank him for our food. By his hands we all are fed. Give us, Lord, our daily bread. Now when I was three, that was okay. But when I was 15 and I was still praying, God is great, God is good, Let us thank him for our food. There was something wrong with that. Because I was not involved in an intimacy of really thanking my father. I was involved in saying a prayer that was rote, that was just kind of vain repetition, that I could have said without ever thinking about anything. I mean, if somebody said, Bill, pray the blessing, I just put it in gear and I went forward just like I would in a car. I mean, it was no meaning there. There was no no intimacy there. When Jesus says, this is how you ought to pray, you ought to pray with an intimacy. He says, you may pray now, our Father who is in heaven. We looked at that last week and we saw that that was an unusual thing for Jesus to teach his disciples. The, The Jews in the Old Testament never started their prayers with our Father. It was Almighty God, Great One. Yahweh, I mean, they, they open their prayers in many ways that express the greatness of, of God. But never once did they say, our Father, our Father in heaven. 
there, there was no intimacy there. There was a, a fear, which is important. There was an awe, which is important. But there was no intimacy in that prayer. When Jesus comes along in this passage and, and starts teaching his disciples to pray in this manner or pray in this way, not pray this, but pray in this way, he's given us a very radical prayer, folks. As a matter of fact, if we take this prayer seriously, and if we learn to pray in this way, it will literally change our lives. This is no passive prayer. This is no prayer to be memorized and repeated just so you can say you've done your duty. This is a prayer that will literally change your life when you recognize God's your Father. When you recognize that he is a holy one, hallowed be your name. When you realize that you're exalting and lifting up the very name of God, the I am that I am, the one who is from the beginning, who was and who is and who is to come. I mean, this is, this is radical stuff when we really bow before the living God and pray as Jesus taught us to pray. It will change our lives when prayed rightly and sincerely. Too often our prayers are, are what I call birdbath prayers. I hope yours aren't, but most Christians are birdbath prayers. They're about an inch deep and a mile wide. They cover everything in the world, but nothing with any sincerity or any depth. Or we'll pray for Aunt Susie's cousin's aunt's toe. Or we'll pray for somebody that we know at work who has a friend of a friend who is sick, and we want to pray for them. You know, Baptist prayer meetings become, a friend of mine used to call it on Wednesday night, say, I say, where are you going? He said, well, I'm going to General Hospital. I said, General Hospital? He said, yeah, that's what our prayer meeting is. And we just talk about all the ailments in the world of everybody that knows somebody that knows somebody that might have a sickness. But he said, we never really get serious with God. We never really get on our face before God. We never really cry out to our Heavenly Father and say, Oh, our Father who is in heaven, you are transcendent, you are holy, you are separated from us, but you are imminent, you are precious, you are our Father who cares about us. So we just never really get serious about God, with God, in our prayers. Birdbath prayers. Just like some people have birdbath theology. But deep, it's not. Wide, but shallow. It is. Well, we looked at that intimacy last week. We looked at exalting the name of God. Hallowed, holy be your name. We come now to verse 10. I want to read the whole prayer, but we're going to concentrate really on that first part of verse 10. Not a, not a long text, but we'll read a little more. Verse 9 says, Pray then in this way. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts or our trespasses as we have forgiven those who trespass against us or our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Our Heavenly Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. What does it mean to pray for God's kingdom to come? 
Well, first of all, it's to recognize that there is a kingdom of God. You remember when Jesus was preparing to even preach this Sermon on the Mount, he said back in verse 17 of chapter 4, he said, For the time, from that time Jesus began to preach and say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God is at hand. And here he says, Your kingdom come. There is a sense in which we have to understand that the kingdom is both now and not yet. It is now in the hearts and the lives of every believer. It's now in the churches of Jesus Christ that are bound around him under his authority and under his lordship. This is talking about the lordship of Jesus Christ in your life and in our church and in other churches. It's talking about Christ reigning as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. It's talking about his kingdom coming to be a reality in our lives and a reality in our churches. But it's also talking about that which is not yet. Your kingdom come when you return to this earth and you come in all your glory and you you strike down all the nations and all the governments including the U.S. government and you reign eternally and forever we have to realize that we are citizens of that kingdom if we are in Christ we sometimes act like we're citizens of our country first and the kingdom of God if at all second and you know the, the real important thing is what is the here and now. The real important thing is what we go through now not what is the reality of now and yet to come. I'll never forget in my first church out of seminary I got in a lot of trouble. That's not uncommon is it? But I came in one Sunday it's right around the 4th of July and, and I noticed a a display of flags, Christian flag, the American flag, et cetera. Now, understand, you got to understand this about me because we've got a little guest here. I love, I, I'm a patriot. I love my country. I cry when the flag is flown and the, uh, the national anthem is sung. I mean, that just tears me up when done in the right place. Church is not the right place. But I came in that Sunday, and they had this beautiful display with flowers all around it and greenery, and they had the American flag up high. And then they had two Christian flags on either side down lower. Well, I came in and scratched my head, and I, I, before anybody got there, I went over and I took out one of the Christian flags and moved it out, and then I reversed the two flags and put the Christian flag on top and the American flag subservient to that. One of my dear veteran friends came in and he said, you can't do that. I said, what do you mean I can't do that? He said, the American flag, by law, has to fly higher than any other flag that it's on display with in this country. That is the law. And I said, okay, I don't want to be a lawbreaker. I don't want to, I'm not trying to disrespect my country, which I love very much. So I did the most logical thing that could be done. I just walked up the platform, took up both flags, and took them and put them in the back. No flags. And he looked at me like I was crazy. He said, what are you doing? I said, listen, there is no way that in a place of worship, God is going to be subservient. The kingdom of God is going to be subservient to any national flag. Never flew the flags in the church again. And you'll notice there are not any here at Grace Baptist Church. Not because I'm not a patriot, not because I don't love my country. I do. I've got a nephew that's fighting for our country right now in the armed services. And I pray for him every day and I pray for our nation. But when we come in this place... We don't come in here to exalt the United States. We come in this place to, to exalt the Lord Jesus Christ and to worship God. That's it. When we uh, met the other Saturday night on the 4th of July out at the Huffman's Farm and we 
We celebrated the 4th. We had fireworks. I read the Declaration of Independence. When I read that for you folks, I almost couldn't get it read. I was choking up so much at its beauty and at its splendor. But when we come in here, we come to acknowledge not the kingdom of America, but the kingdom of God. We come to say, our God reigns. We come to recognize that it is a kingdom that is over all kingdoms. It is a kingdom that will one day destroy all kingdoms and rule over all. Now, I'm not a Jeremiah right. Don't get me wrong there. Get me right. Don't get me wrong. Uh, but the truth of the matter is, man, I want to fall before the sovereign God. I want to fall before the king who is king over all. And, and this kingdom of God concept is something that, quite honestly, in our churches we have failed to, to talk about very much. We fail to talk about the importance of it. But Jesus, right here in the prayer that he teaches us to pray, he says, our Father, your kingdom Come, let it rule, let it reign in the lives of all disciples. Let it rule, let it reign in the, in the hearts of all churches across this world and across this planet on which we live. Some people have a hard time grasping what the kingdom of God really is, what your kingdom come really means. I like what uh, Graham Goldsworthy said in his little book. He reminds us that the kingdom of God comes down to at least three things irreducibly. It's God's people in God's place under God's rule. And he says we find that kingdom in Christ. We find the kingdom in Christ. We're not on the outside looking in. We're not on the outside hoping that someday we'll be able to be a part of the kingdom. But if we are in Christ, we are in the kingdom. We are subservient to the king. We are bowing before the sovereign God. And we are saying, Lord, your kingdom rule in my life above everything else. Paul made that clear in Colossians 1, 13 and 14. He said, for he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. To the kingdom of his beloved son. In whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of of sins. It's a kingdom with a real king that reigns forever. Now, I realize that we don't understand kingdoms very much uh, in America. Really not in the world anywhere. You still have some kings here and there, but usually they're sort of like uh, uh, democratic monarchs. The parliament really does the job. The, the king or the queen who serve as the monarch really are just there for two reasons. To open parliament by declaring it open and to have their picture on the money and on the stamps. And that's about the ex extent of their authority and their rule over the land. I, I know that when we as America broke away from Great Britain, we broke away from a king that was really a king. And a tyrannical king. He was not a, a good example of the kind of king that our father is. The kind of king that our Lord Jesus is. And we broke away and we proudly declared that we will not serve any sovereign. As a matter of fact, George Whitfield, the great evangelist, came to America to preach and to share the gospel to this rowdy bunch of prisoners down in Georgia that had been transferred here out of the prisons. And he started riding around on his horseback preaching the gospel. And he said he came to one tavern one night and went in to try to find some people to preach the gospel with. And he was amazed that 
in a large wooden board across the, the top of the, behind the, the bar, I guess Baptists will call it a counter, behind the counter were these words. We serve no sovereign here. Whitfield wrote in his diary that night, after saying, he said, it shook me to, my, to the bone. He said, those words really just upset me greatly. And I went back to my room and I started praying. I said, dear God, how in the world am I going to share about the King of kings and the Lord of lords in a nation that says, we serve no sovereign here? And we know that was intended for King George. We know that that was in, in, intended for the motherland. But the truth of the matter is, there is a sense in which our gross individuality, our, our demand upon we the people has become more. As a matter of fact, back in the 1920s and 30s, there were several prominent preachers who said, you know, we need to change this Lord's Prayer here. Buttrick was one of them. He said, this idea of your kingdom come sounds too autocratic. It sounds too authoritarian. We need to change that to, to your democracy come. As though somehow we could be involved in the decisions of Almighty God. We have moved so far from understanding that we as citizens of the kingdom of God serve there subservient to and in allegiance to and in awe of the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He says, pray this way. Pray your kingdom come. There's several things I think that that carries with it in, in sort of a practical vein that will affect our lives. First of all, the first practical application of that for you and me is that in our personal response, in this prayer time, when we pray, your kingdom come, and don't just say vain, repetitious words there, but we think about what it means. It means first and foremost that we bow, we bow to God's sovereign purposes. We bow before Him as Lord, as King, as God Almighty who reigns over all the earth. Yes, over everybody, both pagan and Christian alike, but he especially, he especially reigns in the hearts and the lives of his people. So when we pray that, we ought to pray with this idea of, Lord, I am bowing, and I think we ought to physically do it many times. I am bowing before your purposes. I'm bowing before what you want to see done in my life and what you want to see done in this world. Lord, I am bowing before you in submission to you. Your kingdom come in my life. Your kingdom reign in my life first and foremost. Your kingdom be exalted in my life. Second thing I think this means is because the way the kingdom is expanded is quite simply through the gospel message that it means when we pray your kingdom come, we are seeking to, we are acknowledging our desire and seeking to spread the gospel. We've been given a message. That message is that God created everything that there is and man rebelled against that God and because of that rebellion we fell into sin but God through his grace and through his power has redeemed a people for himself through Jesus Christ. He's, he's prepared the gospel. 
the scripture says before the foundation of the world that we might believe in him and we might have life. That, that Messiah came into the world, died on a cross, was buried in a grave, resurrected, and now is ascended and seated at the right hand of the Father. And he is ruling and reigning there as the king. And we can share that. We've got a group of people over in Krakow, Poland. Traveling over there for one purpose and one purpose alone, and that is to share the gospel. Now, I want to tell you, going to Krakow does not make you a missionary. Going to Krakow does not assume that you're doing what you ought to be doing in the kingdom work, unless you come back here and do it here too. We've adopted a people group in Poland, a people group where the gospel has never been proclaimed. And we're going to be taking teams down there. Todd and I are going next month. And we're going to spend five days down in Peru just doing research in this people group. And we're going to see what's there. And we're going to try to find a man of peace and a, a gatekeeper as we talk about. And, and we're going to pray that God will provide those. And then a month later, our medical team is going to go down. And they're going to minister there with an attempt to open doors for the gospel. And beyond that, in December, another team will go. And four or five times a year, we're going to be sending teams down there. Not just because we think we ought to help those people that be healthier. Not, although that's a good, noble thing to do. But that's not, the, that's not the real purpose. We're going to send teams down there, whether they're construction teams or medical teams. They're all evangelistic teams. They're all mission teams to go down and be involved in bringing about a greater expansion of the kingdom of God through the sharing of the gospel. That's our commission. That's our call. We, we can't neglect that. We can't, we can't overlook that and pray this prayer, your kingdom come. It's important to understand, folks. But we can't just go to Peru and do it. We can't just go to Poland and do it. We walk out those doors and within 10 minutes we'll be touching people's lives that need to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. You'll go to work tomorrow morning and you'll come up with, against people who have no concept of what it means to walk with Christ. Oh, they may be church members in Somerset. I mean, I realize... You ask them, are you a member of a church? They're all a member of a church. But if you ask them what, who Christ is, who Jesus Christ really is, and what he's done in their life, they'll look at you like they don't have any idea what you're saying because they don't. They need to hear the gospel. They need for you to invest yourself in their life so you can share the gospel with them. It's the whole concept of our invest and invite emphasis. You know, you, in, you invest your life in people so that you can share the gospel with them. Not just invite them to Grace Baptist, but invite them to Christ. Seeking to spread the gospel. Your kingdom come also carries with it the, the understanding that you are searching God's purposes in the Scripture. I dare say that for many Christians, if I were to walk up to them or you were to walk up to them and say, tell me, what is God's purposes? What are God's purposes in the Scripture? They would say, well, um, I guess God's purposes are to save people. Well, yeah, that's right. What else? Are there more? 
they might ask? Yeah, there's a lot more. His purpose is to be glorified in his people. His purpose is this, to be exalted through, through his church and exalted through his body. His purpose is carry with it the idea of, of calling out a people for himself that he uses to glorify his name in this place. If you understand what his purposes are, you, you keep that in mind every day you live. Again, tomorrow at work talking over a backyard fence at your home is my conversation carrying out the purposes of God. And I don't mean by that you whip out a track and start sharing the gospel on your first encounter. That's not what I mean. But I mean, is, is my life so absorbed by thinking about what is God's purpose in my life today? What has God taught me in his word that I am to be about? I have searched his word. I have I have eaten his word. I have devoured his word so much that I, I understand a bit of what God's purpose is and I want to live that out every day. Somebody tell me a few weeks ago after we preached on one particular thing, he said, well, Bill, that was great. I enjoyed listening to that. But I won't even think about that again until next week. He was honest. But that was tragic. Because Christianity is not a Sunday deal. Faith in Christ is not saying, I got fire insurance, I go to church on Sunday and I've done my duty and the rest of the week is all mine. No. Christianity is bowing to the king. Your kingdom come. Your kingdom come. We'll talk about your will be done next week. And then third, uh, fourthly, excuse me, fourthly, it's anticipating Christ's return. It's anticipating Christ's return. You know, Christians really do believe he's coming again. We don't know the hour or the day or the time. But we believe that when he said, as you saw me, this man depart into the heavens, so you will see him come again in all his glory. We believe he's coming again. Now we can debate, you know, post-millennial, amillennial, pre-millennial, post-trib, mid-trib. Pre-trib, we can debate those things all day long. They don't matter. The thing is, Christ is coming again. I like the way the Baptist faith and message says it. Uh, Christ, in his own time, in his own way, will return to earth. It pretty much says it. But we are to be anticipating that return. We are to be living in light of that return. We are to be anticipating and expecting and even praying for Christ, come and establish your kingdom, not just in your church, not just in your people, but come and establish your kingdom across the face of this earth. Come and establish something brand new. Like John saw, the apostle John saw in Revelation chapter 11, when he saw this starting in verse 15, he said, Then the seventh angel sounded, and there was loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of His Christ. And He will reign forever and ever. And the 24 elders who sat on their thrones before God fell on their faces and worshipped God. Saying, we give, we give you thanks, O Lord God the Almighty, who are and who were, because you have taken your great 
power and have, get, have begun to reign. And the nations were enraged and your wrath came and the time came for the dead to be judged and the time to reward your bondservants, the prophets and the saints and those who fear your name, the small and the great, and to destroy those who destroy the earth. John saw that angel, that angel sound that trumpet and those voices saying the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord. That's anticipating, that's praying for, that's looking to his return. So you see, when we say your kingdom come, there's a whole lot more we ought to be praying than just three little words. Lord, move in my life. Show me your rule and your reign in my life. Lord, transform me into one who takes your gospel wherever I go, who has studied your word and knows what your purposes are and want to live my life in light of your purpose, not in light of my own. I I prayed in the pastoral prayer this morning. Lord, we are a selfish people. We want what we want. We want our way, and we want our way all the time. That's contrary to the kingdom. That's contrary to the reign of Christ. It's contrary to taking the gospel to those who are different. Right here in Somerset, as well as Poland. Wanting my way, wanting my, what I want when I want it, the way I want it, is contrary to the rule of God, the reign of God. So we pray, our Father, who art in heaven, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name, holy be your name. You are the Holy One. Your name is Yahweh. Your name is I am that I am. You are the one who was and who is and who is to come. Lord, you are the one to be exalted. We hold your name up in a holiness. We praise you. We worship you. We make this petition. Your kingdom come. Come in my life. Come in Grace Baptist Church. ultimately and eschatologically in a a, a way of consummation come Lord Jesus come let's pray together as your heads are bowed and eyes are closed I I can't help but reflect back on what Frank said at the offertory prayer. We can sing I stand in awe. We can even stand when we sing I stand in awe. But if he is king, we will live standing in awe. And we will live 
sharing his gospel and his truth. Maybe you're here this morning, you don't know Christ. Never trusted him. Maybe you've played religious games all your life. You've been a member of a church, but you've never trusted Christ. I got an email this week from a friend of mine whose father passed away last week. His father had pastored four churches, done an enormous number of evangelistic crusades through his life. He's 74. And he was in the hospital in ICU, and his pastor came in. And his pastor made the statement, Why, Brother Ron, you look better today than you did three weeks ago when I baptized you. He pastored four churches, preached evangelistic meetings, led numerous people to the Lord, genuinely. But he never really known the Lord himself. Never really knew what your kingdom come in, in his life was all about until three weeks before he died. It's easy to play games. It's easy to be religious. But I ask you this morning, do you know Christ? The King of kings. The Lord of lords. Are you... Have you been transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of His dear Son? Father, we lift up the name of Jesus. We lift Him up, O Lord, so that He may draw men and women to Himself, just like He said He would. Father, I pray right now that Your Holy Spirit would move in the hearts and lives of men and women here, young people here. Bring them to faith in Christ. Father, I pray for others that just need to deal with some issues in their life. Some acknowledging of who is king, who's not. Who is God and who's not. Father, those who would be living a life that says, I serve no sovereign. They need to just take the no out and put a thee there. I serve thee, sovereign. Father, do your work in your way, by your word and by your Holy Spirit. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.